Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, Acts, A-C-T-S. And so that's in the New Testament. If you're still learning your way around the Bible, there's an Old Testament that starts with Genesis. The New Testament starts with Matthew. Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. It was written by a guy named Luke, the same guy that wrote the book of Luke, the third book in the New Testament. And so in Acts chapter 2, Jesus had, in Acts 1, Jesus had, he'd appeared to the disciples, told them to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. He said, you'll be endued or clothed with power, a transforming power, a might will come upon you, giving you abilities to be witnesses to who Jesus is a, in a supernatural way. He said, wait until that happens. So in Acts 2, we see the promise of the Father being poured out. In chapter 2, we'll read verses 1 through 4, then we'll skip down to 17 and 18, then we'll finish at 42 through 46. It says this, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers, everybody say all the believers, were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So the Holy Spirit came down upon them. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit typically only came upon the prophet, the priest, or the king. But in the New Testament, Jesus said, he said, it's good for you that I go away because if I go away, if I don't go away, then the comforter won't come to you. And so, and so the reason when Jesus left, he gave us the Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, you gave your life to Jesus and the Holy Spirit came to set up residence on the inside of you, on the inside of me. Now, as we surrender and as we ask for to be filled or endued with power from the Holy Spirit, we receive that as well in order to more than just his residence be in there, but his ability being surrendered and yielded to it. And so it says as he said, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. Verse 42 says this, all the believers, there's that phrase again, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing. Everybody say sharing. sharing. In meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer, a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers, there's that phrase again, all the believers met together in one place and shared. Everybody say shared. Shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Say generosity. So one of the impacts that the Holy Spirit had, not just upon one or two people, but on them as a group, was the fact that it impacted them from a standpoint that their culture began to be one of those that they were generous. Now, in church, whenever the preacher starts talking about being generous, people automatically think, uh-oh, here we go, we're in a special offering. No, 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 you can, you can take your hand off your wallet, it's safe, okay? So I'm talking about generosity. Yes, it has an impact on what we do here, but beyond these walls, beyond these walls that it becomes who we are as believers, that when we have an encounter with God because his nature is generous, 
that it impacts us, that we begin to be generous individuals, not just financially, that's a part of it, but also in other areas of our life and in how we share our gifts and what we do with encouragement and our time and impacting the lives of other people, that there's just something about God's presence upon us that he impacts us, that we become like that. If you're taking notes, number one is this, is that God's presence changes us to become generous people. Just people. Now it says for them, they began to sell their stuff and that type of thing. You say, Pastor Rick, is that what you're asking us to do? No, I think that for them to do that, that was an exceptional season from the standpoint that they were getting ready to be persecuted and they were going to be driven out of Jerusalem and lose everything they had anyway. But having said that, even though that may not be what our generosity looks like, that generosity is still noticeable in how it impacts the lives of people. They were called to be generous. And when you read this, Man, it touches me. If you like really read this and realize this isn't just somebody writing a story, a fictional account, but this is a historical account of what the early church was doing. And I wrote these thoughts down. First of all, it was an unusual generosity. It was unusual. It wasn't like anybody else. It wasn't like any other community. The, the early church, people say, how, how could it grow? There was, there was no, you know, you talk about being politically disenfranchised. They were outcasts. They weren't connected to any predominant religious situation. One of the reasons why they were under persecution was not just because they were Christians, but because they said there is no other way but Jesus. That's why they were persecuted. For crying out loud, the Romans had like hundreds of gods. It didn't matter to them. The Greeks did too. It didn't matter to them if you just said, put another god up there. And like, hey, we're just one of those 200. But they were unique in the fact that they, even though they were disenfranchised in so many ways, politically, financially, socially, militarily, even religiously, they were disenfranchised. That one of the reasons why Christianity grew so much is because this group of people, the rich and the poor, the young and the old, regardless of their cultural or ethnic background, they had encountered with the presence of God and began to be generous in the way that they lived their lives and in demonstration. You know, we just went through our own personal kind of pandemic, and most of us, maybe all of us, have never been through anything like that. And so, you know, we, we're trying to figure out how to live that way. But that wasn't necessarily unusual for them back in that time. Sometimes cities would break out in disease, and because they didn't have the medicines that we do, they would become devastating. And there were a lot of pagan religions, and a lot of times the pagan priests would leave the city the minute those diseases broke out. And even the wealthy would leave the city, but the Christians would stay back, back in those cities at risk of their own lives, ministering to the sick, taking care of those that weren't in a good place, demonstrating their love, willingly sacrificing whatever life they had in order to take care of people that couldn't take care of themselves. And that began to grab the attention of people everywhere, and they began to notice who Jesus is by how his followers gave themselves and gave their lives. It was a calling tag it was a, of, what, of, who, of what Christians are. And so it was an unusual generosity. It was intentional. It was intentional. It wasn't just done because somebody manipulated them or guilted them into doing something. That They let God deal with them about things specifically, about who they were going to be and about how he wanted them to live. And, and it wasn't theirs anymore. It was his. They were just stewards. They were just stewards of what God had given them. And it wasn't, it wasn't manipulative. It, and it wasn't just the wealthy. It was everyone because there was a heart change in what took place. And so it was evidence when they had an encounter with the presence of God. We have an example of this with uh, a guy in the New Testament named Zacchaeus. In Luke 19, 
Zacchaeus, before he had this encounter with Jesus, he was a tax collector. He stole from his own people. He took from them. He was greedy. He just had all of these things. Just money was, his whole life was built around money. You know, he, he made decisions that separated himself from his family and from his culture and his community. But he heard about Jesus one day was going to pass by, and he got up in a tree and began to look for him. And when Jesus came by, Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm having supper with you today. So Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house, and while, Ze- while Jesus and Zacchaeus were in the house on the outside, the religious leaders were being critical of Jesus. Who, why is he with this notorious sinner? Why is this taking place? And it says this in verse 8. Meanwhile, in other words, while that criticism was taking place, meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated people in their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. This encounter with Jesus impacted the way that he saw his world. It changed what was in the center of his world. And it was demonstrated in his generosity, first of all, to those that he had taken advantage of. But I would dare say that it spilled out into the lives of other people too because his heart was changed. So number one is God's presence changed us. Uh, to become generous people. Let's go, if you would, to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John is back towards the end of the Bible. So you're in Acts, and so the next is Romans. You'll keep going. First and Second Corinthians, keep going. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, keep going. First, Second Thessalonians, First, Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, keep going. James, First and Second Peter, First John. So in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, John, who was one of the apostles, a follower of Jesus, he was called the apostle of love. He said this, we know what real love, everybody say real love. love. So apparently, if there's real love, there's some love that's not real. Have you ever encountered, encountered not real love? Fake love? Somebody acting like they love you? Anybody ever encountered that? Only to find out later that they were just doing that because there was something they wanted out of you? Yeah, that not real love, that's pretty painful stuff, isn't it? It can hurt, man. It can disappoint you. It can cause you to be disillusioned. Well, okay, well, what does real love look like? We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. We know what real love looks like because it involves giving and being sacrificial in our life. Gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives For our brothers and sisters. Well, what does that look like? Well, the next verse tells us. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. In other words, let's not just say this. Let's not merely say that we love each other, but let us show the truth by our actions, by what we do. We know what real love looks like. A lot of us may know what fake love looks like because we've been impacted by it in a negative way. But if you've given your life to Jesus, you've done that because you've encountered real love. Real love is when God wanted to show us his love for us, he generously gave himself for us. A verse that most of you are familiar with, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that what what did he do to express his love for us? That he gave His only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. There's something about whenever we have an encounter with God, that it makes us generous. Not just in our finances, but in our gifts, 
that God has given us in our time, with our words of encouragement and hope, with our willingness to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. We're not defined by what we have anymore because we're defined by whose we are. And we belong to God, and because of that, then it's just stuff at that point. It's just stuff. Now, we're not manipulated. We're not suckers. We're not fools with the things we have. Nobody's going to work us. But we're led by the Holy Spirit, and our ears are constantly open to what he has. And sometimes he'll show us the brokenness in somebody else's life, not so that we can distance ourselves from them, not so we can be critical of them, but so we can invade their world with the love of God and demonstrate that God sees them and he notices them. There's something about that that's story-changing. You know, there's things we do, and I, I know sometimes it doesn't make sense. Like this Saturday, you know, we're going to do the, we're, Will Rogers does the big, I think they do the biggest Easter egg hunt in the community. And several years ago, when COVID was going on full bore and some organizations had popped out, it just wasn't feasible for them to do it. They, they turned to us and asked, would you guys do this? And it's not like, you know, Easter weekend's not busy for us. Could, could we do the Easter egg hunt on Memorial Day weekend? Is that, is that possible? <laughs> but when somebody, they reached out to us, and I mean, this is who we are. It's who we are. You know, this, this life is not always convenient. It's not always convenient. It's, you know, sometimes it's inconvenient. But it's so cool. I think last year we did like 21, we did 21,000 eggs. And we got, had a chance to just be there and just be good to people. And just love on them and love on their kids. You know, when summer gets here, we're going we're gonna to do the lace-up thing again and give away shoes to people to start their school year out. And we just have things like that that we do to demonstrate the love of God because we, our love has, it's just so, we're just in such abundance of how much God loves us that there was, there's got to be demonstrated. There's got to go someplace. Since it's about God, it calls God rich. You know, one of the areas it calls him rich in? Mercy. So God is rich in mercy. I'm grateful he's rich in mercy, aren't you? Man, if I had to withdraw mercy from a, from a mercy teller like I do a bank, money from a bank teller, they'd be like, Mr. Burke, this is your fifth time here today. I go, well, it's not your mercy, it's his. Just give it to me and shut up. I mean, you know, so, and give me mercy for telling you to shut up too. So, I mean, we've... But he's, he's generous to us with the things that he has, the things that I need. He's generous with his love. He's generous with his mercy. He's generous to me when I don't deserve it. Matter of fact, I never deserve it. And his nature gets on the inside of us and we become those people too. Well, they're just taking advantage of me. No, because I'm doing it on purpose. They think they are. They think they're working me. They think they're owning me. But the Spirit of God dealt with me, and so we're going to do this, and we'll get an opportunity at some point. If not us, somebody else. Because we're image bearers of the Most High God. And so, right here, when we look at generosity, being generous is an expression of love. Generosity has an impact on people's hearts. I remember when Tina and I were getting married and I was 27 at the time, she was 23. And so um, we, were, she was, you know, we were working, putting in a lot of hours at our different jobs and kind of working some side hustles and that kind of thing, trying to make money to, to pay for our wedding. 
And um, my parents, you know, they, they loved me, they, but they, they didn't have a lot of money. I mean, they, they had enough to pay their rent or pay, pay for their mortgage, drive a car, put food on their backs and, and food on the table and take care of their basic needs. But, but there wasn't a lot of other stuff going around. And so, you know, I didn't want to hit them up and, and her, you know, her, her dad loved her and that time. We, you know, we felt like we were at an agency season with this need to be ours. And, but I remember one night, my, my, you know, my parents were, they were blue collar kind of people and just every now and then put back a little bit of money. But I remember one night my parents, they called us, you know, they said, hey, we want to meet with you guys for just a little bit. And so we went in there and it was probably a month or two out from our wedding and they wrote us out a check. And today this would be a lot of money, but back then it was like a, it was like a horrendous amount of money. Is that a good word? Anyway, so um, by the way, while we're talking about words, let me say this real quick. I was wrong. There is a word called awoken. I apologize to Pastor Aaron. So, so I don't think he used it properly. But anyway, I was wrong. And so it's a shame that he's so petty that I've got to distract my message to make him feel okay. So anyway. Uh, no, I was wrong. I was, I was wrong. <laughs> and so if I'm wrong about horrendous, I apologize too. Uh, anyway, so. Um, <laughs> so anyway, they, they called, they, they, you know, so we sit down and talked and they, they wrote us out a check and it was a check for $2,000. And I mean, it, it would be a lot today for us. Uh, but back then for my parents, man, I, I don't know. I mean, and I, it just moved me. They said, we want to give this to you to help you with your wedding, help you get started and that kind of thing. I was surprised because, I, I mean, I, I knew that that wasn't like, it wasn't like they had an extra two grand sitting around. And I, I just, I got kind of emotional and I said, I got to, we got to pay you this back. And as moved as I was by their act of generosity, what they said to me next moved me even more. They said, do you want to pay us back? And I said, definitely. And they said, do this for your kids. I don't know whether they just instinctively knew that that acts like this are one of the things that just seal people's handprints upon your heart forever. Forever. That every time you think about him, you think about him in that moment, at that time, in those situations. Of who, of how they've encountered you, of how they impact your world and what God wants to do in your life. Generosity has an impact on people's hearts. Being generous is an expression of love. It's one of the ways that we demonstrate that we have a genuine love for people. And again, that as believers, because it's how we live our life, it's not limited to what takes place in here on Sunday morning, but it's our Monday through Saturday world as well and who God has called us to be. Let's look at this last one. We'll close with this. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, it's a few books before 1 John. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, it says this. He's given him instructions to believers. So he starts out with this. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. 
pure thief, quit stealing. Well, if it stopped right there, that would be good, right? But he goes on. Instead, everybody say instead. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work. And then give generously to others in need. So he was telling them that as a Christian, that this is what your life looked like before, but this is how it looks now, that before it was... You know, it was okay. You, you, would, you would tell lies just to get your way, but he said, stop doing that. Tell your neighbors the truth now. And understand what parts of the same body. And he said, don't continue to let anger control you. In other words, now as a believer, you can't let anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. In other words, don't go around with grudges and unresolved issues as a Christian now. And he said, because that'll give a foothold to the devil. And he said, if you're a thief, quit stealing. As a believer now, change the way that you see stuff. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Number three is when we have an encounter with God, the evidence of his presence is that you begin to understand the purpose of the things that God has given you. It's no longer, it's no longer what identifies you in your social status, your social standing. It no longer gives you credibility in the eyes of other people because it's no longer about what you have but it's about who has you. People don't understand this a lot of times, that Jesus doesn't care how much you have. He cares how much has you. And so as we encounter him, it impacts the way that we live. And so whenever the presence of God begins to show up, the things that we have in our life, not just financially, not just with stuff, but also the things that God's given us to make us who we are, we begin to understand the purpose of those things. They were never given to us so that we could use them to manipulate people or to get things out of people or to take care of ourselves only and be indifferent to the needs of other people. But they began to be things that God has given us to demonstrate his nature and his character to who he is with other people. You know, one of our callings here as a church is to be relentlessly good to the place that we live. We want to be relentlessly good to our community. And one of the reasons is, is because you can tell people all day long that you love them, and that may have an impact somewhat, but it doesn't have near the impact that showing them, demonstrating, being good to them at a time when nobody else is being good to them, at a time where it's hard to find goodness anywhere to be expressed in their life or in their own world, for the church, for the church to show up and to say, this is what God's nature is like, this is what his character is like, and just like he was good to me, just like he's been rich in mercy with me, I'm going to be rich in mercy to you. I'll be generous with the mercy I give you. Just like he's rich in his presence whenever I'm going through a hard place. And he's, the Holy Spirit encourages me. And even in the middle of correction, he still encourages me that I'll be that for you. And, and just like I've had my needs supernaturally met by what he's laid on the hearts of other people to do at times, that he'll lay it on my heart to help meet somebody else's needs in their life. That, again, part of the nature that we have, part of the characteristic, part of the evidence that God is there is that it breaks off the bonds of selfishness in the lives of people that are there. That it, it tears away that selfishness. That generosity is not based on what you have, but what you do with what you have. And to understand that it's based on what we do with what we have, it comes down to an understanding of whose is it. Whose is it? is it? Is it mine? No. I'm a steward of it. And so 
when God begins to impact my life. It's interesting, you know, Paul said in Philippians 3, he talked about all the things that mattered to him at one time. But he said when he had an encounter with Jesus, the things that he used to think were so valuable, that those things were just, he said they didn't amount to anything now compared to knowing Christ. An encounter with God, he begins to show us what's really important, what really matters. And we begin to see evidence of it in our lives because the things that used to have hold on us, that they no longer have hold on us. That selfishness is no longer the thing that directs our life. No longer the thing that hangs on to us because we're just, because we've been so impacted by the presence of God that it calls for us, his presence calls for us to be people that are generous with our lives and how we live and what we do in ourselves. It's wild to think that a move of God, that the evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit, that these people gathered together in community and they began to be aware of where each other were and what their needs were and began to care for those things. And it became a noticeable thing to those who were outside of the church and began to impact them in such a way. They began to listen to what they say when they told them about Jesus and who he is and why he came. And he came because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And we get to demonstrate that same nature as we have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. I want you to I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. Man, let's just spend a moment with God and maybe, you know, maybe the way you were raised that this is, you know, selfishness is not an area you struggle with. And maybe you're so generous that you need to use a little bit more wisdom sometimes. And just make sure the Holy Spirit's leading you and not guilt. That you're not being manipulated. Maybe on the other hand, that you've lived with, with in some areas where you didn't have much, and so. You're struggling with just being the, looking at stuff and making that your security. You feel like your life is secure because you have enough. Jesus said that there's a deception in trusting in riches. That they lie to us and they tell us that you're going to be okay. That this is all that matters. And our security becomes to be in whatever those things are instead of in who he is. And so if that's you, just take a moment to surrender that part of your life. Ask the Lord to help you grow in trusting him as your source. If you're in here today and you're a person that you're, you're in a place of lack and struggle, I remember I sat in a service one time, the minister was talking about this, and I was really angry as he talked about it because I was struggling. I have anything. I was kind of mad at God. I'm like, I, I don't want to hear this. And if that's you, I've, I've been where you are. I know, I know what that's like. And I, I just pray that you take this moment and begin to talk to God again about your needs. He's not indifferent to them. He hears them. And just because you haven't seen him move doesn't mean he's not moving. These aren't just cliches or phrases. They're things that I've seen in my own life, personally. So let's just spend a moment with God and, and just talk to him about this in our life and whatever area, and let's spend a moment with God.